Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. So we're on the final week of our series Family Plan. This is the last and final week. The first week, Pastor Andrew explained God's plan for marriage, that God created marriage to be a mirror of his love for us, that through marriage, we get the chance to display God's grace, God's mercy, and God's forgiveness to our spouse. The second week, I addressed God's plan for parents, that as parents, it is our job to discipline and train our children. It's not an easy job, and it's certainly not a popular job, but God hasn't called you to be popular in your home. He's called you to be the spiritual authority in your home. And your job is to discipline and train your children because one day your children will stand before a holy God and you have to prepare them for that moment. Your cute little child right now, as, as, as darling as he or she is, will one day stand before a holy God, and you've got to make sure that they're ready for that. Last week, I spoke to you about God's plan for children, that as dependent children, we are called to obey our parents. As adults, we are called to honor our parents. And last week, we took a close look at Jesus at 12 years old and how he submitted and he obeyed his parents. And then we looked at Jesus as an adult and how he honored and and cared for his mother. And even on the cross, he, he cared for his mother, making sure that she was going to be taken care of after his death. Today, we will close out this series with God's plan for your family and the church. God's plan for your family and the church. Now, I want everyone to look at me because this is so important to me. Because I feel like God has something that he wants to say to you today. And, and maybe even some revelation that you've never realized before. Uh, some of you have been around church for so long that, that you could get up here and you could preach a message on, on God's plan for your family and the church. And there's principles that, that I don't have time for us to, to, to go through today and to hash out. But I do believe that for most of you, you, you come to church and I want to make sure that you understand why we come to church. Why the assembling of ourselves together is so important. And more than just, just an assembly hall, I want to make sure that you understand what it means to be a part of the church. And so if you will, just for, for the next few moments, if you'll just give me your attention and, and let me speak life over your home and let me speak life over you and let me just give us some direction on what I believe God wants to speak to us on the last week of this series with Family Plan. I grew up in the church. How many of you grew up in the church? Not this church. This church is almost 13 years old, but you grew up in the church. Let me see. I want to see who I'm talking to right now. Okay. So some of us, we grew up in the church. And I had to grow up in the church. I didn't have a choice in the matter because my dad was the pastor. And I know that we have a, a few PKs in the room, a few pastor's kids in the room, and you know what I'm talking about, that we were made to go to church whether we wanted to or not. And, and with my dad being the pastor, we were always there. We were there on Sunday mornings. We were there on Sunday nights. How many of you are thankful we don't have Sunday night service around here? Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Some of you are like, why? I don't understand. It's just... When we first started our church, someone asked me, said, we're not going to have Sunday night service. And I said, no, I'm not saying we won't ever have Sunday night service. I'm just know whatever you build it on is what you have to maintain it on. And I'm not starting it. So, um, <laughs> so there we are. Um, and so we were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, 
Wednesday night, if the doors of the church were open, our family was there. And if, if my dad, being the Pentecostal pastor that he was, if he wanted us to go into a revival, which was three or four times a year, we would have a week-long revival, and, and we would be there every night. Listen, we didn't get to stay home just because, you know, we had school the next day, and revival services were going until 10 or 10.30 at night, and that's on a good night. I mean, if the Holy Spirit took over, we were there for a while. And I, this is not cliche. I'm telling you, this is God's honest truth. I remember sleeping under the church pew while they're shouting in the altars around me. I learned how to sleep through all kinds of noise in a Pentecostal church, I'm telling you. I know what it's like to be in church every time the doors are open. That's what life was like for me growing up. And looking back, I realized that our family was not the only family that was committed to church. I I know what you're thinking. Well, your dad was the pastor, your family was paid to be at church. And some of you may think that about my family now, that because I'm the pastor, that we're, we're paid to be in church. I grew up with a church family, and there were people that was as dedicated as our family, that were there every time the doors were open, people that watched me grow up, that helped me grow up. We were closer to some of our church family than we were to some of our extended biological family. Some of you know what I'm talking about when I say that because you're closer to some people in this church than you are some of your extended family that, that they're blood relatives, but, but yet they're not the ones that you're going to call when you have a crisis on your hands. This is your church family. One of the positives of having a church family was that my mom and dad had extra eyes on me wherever I went. There was accountability wherever I went. If I went to Kmart, there were people at Kmart that always knew that that's the pastor's son. And they they knew that that if, if I got out of line, all they had to do was pick up the phone and call mom or dad. If I went to TG&Y, how many of you know what TG&Y is? Anybody? Whoa, there's only a few of us right now. Let me, let me tell you about TG&Y. This is, this is not extra. It's not in the notes, but I'll just tell you about it. Um, TG&Y was like, like Family Dollar on steroids. It was a much larger store, uh, and, and they carried a little bit of everything, but, but none of it was like, like name brand. No, not at all. They didn't have Hot Wheels. They had like lukewarm wheels. Yeah. <laughs> I was really into like Star Wars, fig, you know, the action figures, and, um, and, and you know, you go to Kmart, and they would have like Star Wars and Star Trek. They could, uh, not them, not them. They had Trek Wars, you know. That's what they had, Trek Wars action figures. And, and so they had a little bit of everything. We actually joked growing up that, that TGY stood for Turtles, Girdles, and Yo-Yos because you could just find about anything there that you, that you needed to find. Actually, it's the TGY are the men that started the company. It's their last names, the first letter of their last names. But I couldn't go to TGY without eyes being on me. If I was at the skating rink, somebody there was from our church. Church family was often at the skating rink. If if I was at school, I couldn't get away with things at school because the school nurse was a member of our church. And so if I got in trouble at school, my mom and dad knew before I got home. And that was the atmosphere that I was raised in. And as a teenager, you can imagine that I didn't necessarily see that as a positive. But I will say this, it definitely kept me from making some mistakes at least publicly. It kept me from making some mistakes publicly, and it also kept me from getting away with some of the mistakes that I was making, and so I couldn't avoid being punished. But 
one of the negatives was that there were certain people in our church family that felt the need to express their opinion about how mom and dad were raising us. Listen, this happens in, in every organization, every institution. It, it doesn't matter if, if you're in Little League Baseball. It doesn't matter if you're in volleyball. It doesn't matter if, if it's a group of parents and families that, that gather together for a Bible study. Listen, there's always going to be people with opinions. And, 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 and a church is no different than that because a, a church is made up of imperfect people. Imperfect people. So don't expect the church to be perfect. And so there were people that sometimes, they're few and far between, but sometimes they felt like they needed to express their opinion to my mom or dad about the way that they were raising us. And, and one gentleman that comes to my mind, him, he, he had a problem with the way that, that, that I wore my hair. He didn't like the way that the pastor's son wore his hair. And, and so he went to my dad to complain about it and, and to ridicule my father for the way that he was raising me. Uh, and, and, and I don't know what the problem was. I don't understand why the guy, I mean, who doesn't like a mullet? I mean, mullet's fantastic, right? You know, business up front, party in the back, right? So he just didn't like my mullet, not at all. Didn't like the mullet and, um, and felt like my dad should make me get my hair cut. And my dad politely told him that it was none of his business. And then my dad told me to get a haircut. And, um, <laughs> or, or the woman that, that felt the need to express that I played the drums too loud in church. She, she didn't, didn't like drums in church. And, and we were at choir rehearsal one evening. And we were preparing for a big day, like something for Easter or something. And, and I'm on the drums. We're going through these songs. And she comes out of the back row of the choir. She walks down and, and stands right there in front of the choir director, piano player, bass player. The choir is, is behind her. She looks at me on the drums and she says, you just beat those things way too loud. And I wanted to say, well, you talk way too loud. Why don't you shut up? I didn't because my mom and dad would beat me if I was to talk to an adult like that, which is part of our problem these days with our kids. We've got to start. No, let's, let's. Uh. So anyway, anyway, I went home that night and, and I told my mom and dad, I said, I'm done. I said, I'm done. I'm, I'm never playing drums in church again. Never. I was offended. I'm telling you, I was offended. She should not have embarrassed me that way, and she shouldn't have. But I was finished. I'm never going to play drums in church again. That was Wednesday. And by Sunday morning, Dad had corrected my attitude with that. And I was back on the drums Sunday morning with a smile on my face, whether I wanted to be smiling or not. Dad made sure that I was there. Because it was in that atmosphere with a church family, with dysfunction. Because a, a group of people is going to have dysfunction. But it was there in that church atmosphere with my church family that I learned how to deal with people. And I learned how to deal with personality types. I learned how to work through differences with, with each other and, and I learned how to serve the kingdom of God with people from different walks of life. I remember when I finally reached that age where when I was a teenager that I, I realized that, that not, not everybody's dad is a preacher. That's, that's my dad. That's all I knew. I was born into a pastor's home. And so I remember that day that I looked around the church and I realized that there were a lot of different walks of life. That over here we had a, a guy that collected garbage for a living. But over here we had a doctor. 
Here we had a teacher, but here we had a lawyer. And I watched and, and I recognized that these people, none of them held the, themselves in higher esteem than, than their brother or their sister. They loved each other. It was a church family. And, and they respected each other. And they would come week after week and they would serve each other. And that's when I started to realize that I was part of something that not every child has. I not only have my family, my blood family, but I've got a church family. I would go as far as to say that the church was the greatest influence on my life. Understand that, that I recognize without mom and dad, I wouldn't even be put in that situation. I would not be in that atmosphere. And so obviously, a godly mom and dad, I'm thankful for that. Some of you, you didn't have that privilege in your life, but I did. I had a, a godly mom and dad that saw church as, 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 as important for our lives, and we were there. But I'm telling you, the church was one of the greatest influences on my life. There were adults that believed in me, and there were adults that corrected me when necessary. I remember running down the middle aisle of the church after church on a, on a Sunday night, running right down the middle aisle, and old sister sports, boy, she, she was German, and uh, she had a thick German accent, and boy, she grabbed me by the ear as I was running, about ripped my ear off my head, and said, we don't run in church. Yes, ma'am. Guess who didn't run in church anymore after that? Mom and dad allowed them to bring correction to my life. There were godly men that taught me how to be a godly man. Young adults that invested in me, peers that I did life with. I remember when I was around 12 years old, I was, I was at that age where I was a little too old for children's church and, and some of our kids even some of them may be in the room today we reach that place where it's just tough because it, it covers such a wide range and you feel like you've grown out of children's church and I just didn't know what to do I, I didn't know you know my place and and I remember there was a man by the name of Wayne Schenholzer he and his wife Center Street Church of God in Perry they, they always led children's church that was their ministry they weren't paid for it but man they were good at it and they had a big puppet booth that went all the way across the back of the stage. And, and Wayne invited me, recognizing that there was this, this longing, that I needed something more, that it was time for me to start serving in church. And, and Wayne came to me and he said, well, why don't you come back and, and, and sit with me in the puppet booth there in children's church? And Wayne started teaching me how to change my voice and to start creating characters. One of the characters that I was the puppeteer for his name was Alfonso Roberto Miguel Orlando de Soto Fernandez Jones, but you can just call me AJ. <laughs> and those kids loved AJ when he would come out and talk with the children's church leader. But Wayne saw something in me. He saw that there was a passion inside of me, and he began to develop that. I remember Wayne would invite me to go with his family, and they would take me on camping trips, and, and he would take me fishing. I caught the biggest bass I've ever caught in my life with, with, with Wayne. We developed this friendship of banter. We'd go back and forth at each other. The older I became the, in, in my teen years, um, we, we just would pick at each other quite a bit. In a fun way, we'd just pick at each other and, and always giving each other a hard time, always playing practical jokes on each other. There were married couples in that church that set examples for how to per persevere in marriage. 
I think about Bobby and Karen Wiggins, this young couple that invested in me when I was in middle school. Part of our church family, and, and they would pick me up and they would take me to dinner. They had two little boys that loved me, man. They just, those little boys looked up to me and, and, and they would take me to dinner. They'd buy me dinner. I remember they would take a group of us middle schoolers, they would take us bowling. We'd drive from Perry to Tallahassee and they would take us bowling. I didn't even realize at the time the impact it was making on my life. I just wanted to go bowling. I just wanted to hang out. They would pick us up and they would take us bowling. And, and, and I remember that one time they bought tickets for me to go with them and their family to go see the Harlem Globetrotters. First time I ever got to see the Harlem Globetrotters was, was with Bobby and Karen Wiggins. And then when she was diagnosed with cancer, I watched Bobby stand by his wife's side, fighting the battle with her. And little did I know the example that it would set. And that one day my wife would have cancer. And Bobby taught me how to stand by a wife as she fights and how to lift her up in prayer. We better get into the word or we're never going to make it through this today, okay? Ephesians chapters 5 and 6. Ephesians 5 and 6. As you turn there, I want to remind you that the verse numbers, the chapter numbers, these were added. This is a letter that Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus. And the, the verse numbers, the chapter numbers, all of that was added just to make it's easier for you and I to look verses up in the Bible so that we can easily, easily find our place. When Paul wrote this, there were no subheadings. Part of what we're going to read today, you're going to see a little subheading, maybe in your Bible, most Bibles have it, that says wives and husbands, or husbands and wives, and, and then maybe it'll say something like obedience and parents, or, or, or something like that. And those, those little subheadings, headings, those were added years later. Those things were added just to let you know what you're reading. And so you have to look at this, that this is one continuous letter that Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus. There's no uh, uh, page breaks. There's no um, uh, verses numbered. There's no chapters numbered. There's no subheadings. Uh, this is just a, a letter consisting of approximately 2,422 words that Paul wrote to the church. And in this, there's some special things that Paul writes about. As I told you last week about this letter, he writes to the young and the old. He writes to the singles and the married. He writes to the men and the women, and he writes to the parents and the children. And there's a unique way that Paul does this. And I want you to try and, 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 and see it as we read it. We're not going to read both chapters in, its, in their entirety. We're just going to pick a few verses out. You can read the whole thing later on your own time, but... but these verses that I'm picking out, I want you to notice some things about them. Let's read them. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Again, there's no, there's no header there. We're not, we're not looking at something that says wives and husbands or husbands and wives. Verse 21 flows right into verse 22. And, and the reason I bring that up is because Paul addresses the marriage as a whole in verse 21. Listen to what he says. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Understanding this. Look at me, church. There is a mutual submission that happens in marriage. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We really like this next verse, especially the men in the room. 
We really like this next one. That's usually where we'll start quoting it. But verse 21 sets it straight that there's a mutual submission that takes place. And so then he addresses the wives specifically in verse 22. And he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is his, uh, himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And all the men said, amen. Now you're in trouble. <laughs> then Paul turns his attention to the husbands. And I want you to listen to what he says, starting in verse 25. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And all the women said, Amen. Amen. Why is it that you can say, Amen? You don't get in trouble, but we do. I don't understand how. And then finally, Paul addresses the children in chapter 6, verse 1. But there there were no breaks. It just flowed, and he goes straight to the children. Here's what he says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Okay, church, look at me. And let's, uh, let's, let's unpack this and, and figure this out. And then we'll pray and we'll get out of here. But this is so important. Paul just gave us a great domestic handbook. He shows us the roles that each of us play Husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, children. He, he shows us what the home unit, what it consists of, what, what a godly home looks like. And there are divine principles here to live by if you can get past the fact that Paul keeps crossing the line between family and church. Did you notice that? That all throughout those verses... One minute he's talking about husbands, the next minute he's talking about the church. One minute he's talking about wives, the next minute he's talking about the church. And almost mid-sentence sometimes, he just kind of blurs the lines there. And then just to kind of clear it up a little bit, recognizing that, that maybe his writing style is bringing a little bit of confusion to, to the reader, in, in chapter 5, verse 32, right in the middle of all this, Paul says, this mystery is profound. And, I, and, and I'm thinking, yes, it is. What are you talking about? Are you talking about the home? Or are you talking about the church? Which one is it, Paul? He says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Okay. Paul, I'm still not sure if I'm, I'm, I'm trekking with you. I mean, wait a second, Paul. Wait a second. Because I'm not sure you can cross that line. Don't do that, Paul, because you're messing up my little cookie-cutter world the way that I want it to look like. You can't just jump back and forth between the family and the church. You, You can't do that, Paul. Just make up your mind as to what area of our lives that you want to discuss and that you want to teach us. If you want to teach us about our home, then teach us about our home. If you want to teach us about our church involvement, then teach us about our church involvement. But never shall the two cross i mean this is my family and and then there's the church i've got a certain set of clothes that i wear at home and i've got a certain set of clothes that i wear at church you know at a family reunion there's that 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 crazy uncle bobby that um, we don't want anyone to meet 
And at church, we've got crazy brother Billy that we want everyone to meet because he's so entertaining. Names are completely made up to protect the innocent. Okay. But we don't want these two worlds to collide because it's so much easier when we have a separation of church and home. And it's no accident, church, that that Paul blends these two institutions together. And I use the word institutions very loosely there because I don't want us to get stuck there and, and thinking that that's all this is, that marriage is just an institution, that a family is just an institution, and the church is just an institution. But it's no accident that Paul brings them together. It's not an accident that Paul makes no distinction between your home and the church. Besides your home, the most important institution your family has is the church. I'll go on to say it's a close second. Now, some of you are not going to agree with me, and, and when God calls you to preach, you can preach the Bible the way that you want to preach the Bible. But, but I'm not saying, hear me out, I'm not saying that church needs to become more important than family. I am saying that the church becomes part of your family. Thank God that the church became a part of my family as I was growing up. Because there's some mistakes that I was going to make that they corrected me from that would have altered my life in such a way that it would have made it hard for me to praise God. It would have made it hard for me to worship God. It would have made it hard for me to serve God. There were people in my church family that, that God just put them in my path. I'm convinced just to keep me from making some of the mistakes that would hinder what God wanted to do in my life later on. Church doesn't become more important than family. It becomes part of your family. And that's what we mean when we talk about covenant membership here at DCC. And I want to make sure that we're all on the same page because we don't always walk it out. I think on, on the, for the big picture we do. But, but I think there's some that are on the fringes that maybe you just don't get it yet. Maybe, maybe no one's explained it to you. But, but when we talk about a covenant membership, it's a covenant relationship. That means that, that, that we laugh together. That means that we cry together. That means that, that we mourn together. And man, have we done that. We've had losses in this church, friends and loved ones, that they meant so much to us that we had no choice but as a church family to come together and just cry. Because that's what family does. We mourn together, but we also celebrate together. Listen, when something great happens in my life, I don't want anybody else cheering for me but my church family. And when something great happens in your life, I want to be your biggest fan. I want to celebrate with you. That's what church families should look like. That's what we look like. And when we embrace that, we become part of the family of God. Listen to Acts 2, 42 through 44. And it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together 
and had all things in common. The lines are blurred. There's no separation of church and home. The believers had all things in common. They were together. They did life together. They learned the word of God together. They ate together. They celebrated birthdays together. When they got out of prison, they celebrated together. And they were committed to each other. I've come to realize that when it comes to life, I don't want to go through life without you. I need this church family. There are extended family members that I would never call during a time of crisis. But there's people in this room that you'll be the first ones that I call. I realize that during some of the darkest moments of our lives, the church has always been there to pick us up. And God forbid, but when tragedy hits, I need my people of faith more than I need anyone else besides Jesus. When God chose to go into a relationship with us, He chose the family model. Please hear me. Please understand this. Some people would try and convince you that that Paul is writing in in a metaphorical context. This is not a metaphor. A metaphor describes something or, or, or what something is like. When God says family, it is a literal description of what God desires for the church to be. That's why Paul blurred the lines. Paul was saying, listen, I can't separate this thing. The church is my family and my family is the church. There's this ongoing joke in my family that when mom and dad had me, that they should have named me Oops. My dad was 40 years old when I was born. Do you think he planned me? My oldest brother was a senior in high school when I was born. Mom and dad didn't plan me. So my my brothers have always said, you know, mom and dad should have named you Oops. All right. But I can tell you this, I wasn't a mistake. Mom and dad knows that. I mean, I'm the best looking out of all my brothers. (laughs) I'm the smartest. I mean, they all know it, but I wasn't a mistake. But I was an afterthought. We, the church, we are not an afterthought to God. You do realize this. That before he created this world, before God created the universe, he wanted a family. And he chose you to be a part of that. We can't comprehend that. Ephesians 1 and 4 in the New Living Translation says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. Even before he he created, God loved us and he chose us. God wanted a family so bad that he created humanity. Let me just kind of cram this in really quick to you so that that you you get a theological understanding of this. But, But God wanted a family so bad that he created humanity. Then he chose a specific people group to call his own, the Jewish nation. And then through Christ, he expanded his family to include all of us. And the good news is, God has never had a grandchild. 
only a child will do with God. And so none of us come into this thing as a grandchild to God. That's why you're not spoiled rotten. That's why God doesn't give you everything that you want. He gives you what you need. You come into the kingdom of God as a child of God. We're all children of God because, because God loved us and he chose us. 1 Peter 1 and 3 says, For it is his boundless mercy that has given us the privilege of being born again so that we are now members of God's own family. We are members of God's own family. God wanted a family and it wasn't enough with Adam and Eve and it wasn't enough with a nation. But he said, I love humanity and I want you to be a part of my own family. At this moment, you're supposed to turn to your neighbor and you're supposed to look at them and say, who's your daddy? And the answer is, God is. God is my father. And he's invited me in to be a part of this thing. He didn't choose this employer-employee relationship, although we are called to work for the kingdom. He did not choose an attorney-client relationship, although Jesus Christ is our advocate. He did not choose the doctor-patient relationship, even though Jesus is our healer and by his stripes we are healed. No, he chose the family unit as his preferred relationship standard with us. That God is our father, that Jesus Christ is our brother, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. The lines are blurred. The church is family. And if you want your home, to be part of what God's plan is for your home, you've got to blur these lines. You've got to realize that, that this just meshes. This is the way God designed it. That we are called to do life together in fellowship. This is God's design for humanity and it's his design for his relationship with us that together we become the family of God. I like the way that the third century theologian Cyprian of Carthage said, and, and, and I can't back this up theologically. He, he was probably smarter than I am, but, but listen to what he said. He who does not have the church for his mother cannot have God for his father. I'm not saying that the church is my mother, but man, I thank God for some church moms that kept me in check. I'm thankful for old sister sports that about ripped my ear off as I was running through the church. I'm thankful for Wayne Schenholzer. I'm thankful for Karen and Bobby Wiggins. I'm thankful for the people that God put in my life to make me the man that I am today. But I'm afraid that families have bought into the mentality that the church is a place where we gather with other believers to worship together. It's part of it. But as a portable church, we should understand this better than anyone else. This is not the church. This is not the, the Panther Palace is not the church. This is a school where the church meets. And, and, and let, me, let me say this, because with great anticipation, we know in just a few months, we are going to move into our dream. But let me tell you something about that building that they're building out there. 
That building is not the church. It is a tool to facilitate ministry. It is a place where the church will meet. But that building, we've proved this through the years. Through almost 13 years of being a church family, we have proven that, that, that a building does not dictate what we accomplish for the kingdom of God. We are the church. Jesus did not give his life for brick and mortar. He didn't die for steel and studs. Jesus died for his church. And if he was willing to die for it, then it's something that we've got to make a priority for our families. We've got to realize, as Paul said, husbands, you've got to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, you've got to recognize the spiritual head of household. And how that relates to Christ. Children. And Paul just weaves it all together. And he says it's, it's a profound mystery, isn't it? The church is your family and your family is the church. It's always interesting to me how two different sets of parents can have two different experiences with their children in the church. You knew this was coming. This is where I start stepping on toes and you leave angry, but it's okay. I'll see some parents scratch their heads in frustration trying to figure out why their kids don't love the church. And I'll listen to other parents talk about how much the church plays a part in the development of their child's life. And it has nothing to do with age. I want you to listen close to me. Because we have some eight-year-olds that they absolutely love coming to church. And we have some eight-year-olds that don't like coming to church. We have some 18-year-olds that love church. It is part of their life. Every week it's part of their lives. And we have some 18-year-olds that don't. Some kids will fake sickness so that they can skip church. And others will fake wellness so that their mom and dad will let them go to church. What's the difference? Jesus made that answer so simple for us. Jesus said, you fall in love with whatever you invest in. And I'm not talking necessarily just about money. Please hear me out. For the guests in the room, this is not that moment where I'm you know, prepping you for another offering. That's not happening. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, your heart will follow. Whatever you invest in is what you fall in love with. My mom and dad, they loved the church. My mom and dad invested in the church. But my mom and dad also taught me to invest in the church. And because of that, I fell in love with the church. Parents that teach their children to invest in the church with their time, their talent, and their treasure will produce kids that love the church. But parents, you must teach your your children to invest in the church with their time, their talent, and their treasure. It's not enough for just mom and dad to be involved. We must teach the family to be involved. We must teach our kids to invest in the church if we want them to love the church. Teach them to make it a part of their everyday lives. Teach them to serve their church family. Teach them to give of their time, their talent, and their treasure. A number of years ago, I would look at the building fund each week and and see what people gave over the weekend to the building fund. And I would look at that line item, and most of the time, it, it would be an, an, an even amount, no change. You know, $4,250 or $5,500. And I would just look at it, and, and then all of a sudden, I started noticing 
that there were, were sins added to it, that there, were, there was change. And that, and that was, I mean, not heard of. That, that just doesn't happen like that because usually what happens, people make a commitment and it's, it's, it's uh, you know, a solid dollar amount. There's no change with that, especially to a building fund. And so I, I went to our finance manager and I asked, I inquired about this and I said, what's going on? Why do I, why do I keep seeing change show up in our, our building fund? I was pleasantly surprised when I found out that one of our families, mom and dad would give their kids their allowance each week and they were teaching their kids to first of all pay their tithe, teaching them that the tithe does not belong to you, that's God's. And so you pay your tithe first, so they would get their envelope, their little giving envelopes, and they would mark a dollar for tithe. And then their parents taught them above and beyond that as an offering. So if you want to give something to a certain area, and so they would give a quarter to missions or 50 cents to the building fund, and that's where these odd, the change was coming in with this. This morning during first service, those two kids who were in middle school and high school at the time, now they're young adults. We prayed over one of them this morning as he leaves for the army. And his sister still serves this church faithfully every week and acts as sowing in to our students. Parents that taught their kids, invest in your time, your talent, your treasure. I looked over during first service this morning. I looked over at these doors. And there was a family, the Holbrook family. They were all there, all four of them. I don't know where Hayes was at. I guess he's too young to greet, but the four older ones in the family were all there, brother and sister greeting with their parents. I looked around this room this morning. I looked back at those back doors, and I, I couldn't help but remember before Amy was battling with these headaches and stuff. But Robert, I remember how much Megan loves coming to church and she would run up to me and she would just hug me every time saying, Pastor Rocky, look at my new shoes. They make me so fast. But I remember as Amy would wipe down these windows before first service, getting all the little fingerprints off these windows and Megan would be back there with her Windexing the window and just singing her little heart out before anybody would show up to this church. We've got to teach our family to invest. They don't need to just see mom and dad serving. Our kids need to serve. They need to be volunteering for events. They need to be part of the church. Your family's not called to go to church. Your family's called to be the church. My family's called to be the church. Your family's called to be the church. That is God's family plan. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.